Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Hi there, we are in month four of our study of the hour has come. We're talking this month about betrayal. We've had one of our Dig a Bits. This is number two. And for the second and third dig a bit this month, I wanted to talk about some of the responses that our Lord had to his betrayal by Judas. You know, there are some simple kinds of betrayal. I know the other day my daughter let slip one of the presents that my husband was going to get me for Christmas, and I remember his word was, well, I didn't know she was going to betray me. Well, that's not really betrayal. But we're talking about, probably, when we think about Judas and Christ, we're thinking about the most serious betrayal in all of human history. We talked last week, I think it was, about how that Judas was not always the son of perdition. He was not always the betrayer. He was not always the one who was pilfering with the treasury. The very fact that he was entrusted with the treasury that we studied last week from the book of Acts, that he was called to apostleship and ministry, we know that he was faithful. He was chosen because of his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his ability to influence others. We even talked about his influence over the other apostles, I believe we did, in our last dig a bit. But today, I want us to just talk about the responses that our Lord had after this grievous betrayal of Judas. We read about the Last Supper. We notice that it says in verse 27, after the sop, that is after the bread was dipped in the gravy, Satan entered into him. And that just means that the full deal was done at that point, that Whatever resistance that Judas had to Satan before that point was lost, and Satan was fully controlling his actions at this time. He was allowing Satan to control control him. Then Jesus said to him, Whatever you're doing, do quickly. We skip down then into verse 30. He then, having received the sop, that is the bread dipped in the gravy, went immediately out, and it was night. He went out to do his business in betraying Jesus, fully betraying him. It was only going to be a little while before he placed that kiss on Jesus' face and actually delivered Jesus up to the Pharisees and to the Sanhedrin. The very next verse says, Therefore, when he was gone out, it's like Jesus watched him walk out the door, close the door, and Jesus said, Okay, now. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. I love that. The first thing that Jesus did was just to show his resolve to go on and please and glorify the Father. We can do that even after betrayal. I know that there are people listening who have been betrayed at work, who have been betrayed in friendships, who have been betrayed by their children. I was um, talking to someone earlier this week whose children are taking full advantage monetarily of parents who are unable to really to battle at this point. And then there are people who have been betrayed, of course, in marriage by spouses that have committed adultery. 
And how, what is it that we do after grievous betrayals in life? Well, I think it's, it's a great thing to look at what Jesus did after this most severe betrayal of Judas. It says there that as soon as he had gone out, shut the door, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Let's just get about the business that we are about. And we know that we've talked about glory enough and glorification that we know that the ultimate glory was at the cross when Jesus was lifted up to draw men to him. So Jesus is just saying, okay, now he's gone out. I've told him he's going to betray. I'm telling you, I've, Jesus had prophesied here, but he, he just showed a resolve. In the beginnings of each one of the chapters really remaining in John, but especially at the beginning of John 17, verse 1, these words spoke Jesus and lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. And then let's look at 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Why did he enter into that garden? He entered into that garden because he knew that that's where it was going to happen. That's where Judas was going to kiss him. That's where the um, Malchus' ear was going to be cut off. That's where the soldiers who came to get him were going to fall down on the ground, but Jesus was going to go with them. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen in that garden, but he was resolved that he had a mission. It was to glorify his father through Calvary. And as soon as he was betrayed, he said, now let me do what I'm here to do. I want to just suggest to you that in times of betrayal in this life, times are really hard, that we should just gather our resources, gather our mental faculties, get into the Word and say, whatever it is, even in this dark situation that glorifies my Father, I am resolved to go ahead and do that thing. The next thing that Jesus did is that He encouraged others. And we'll close with this one and pick up the the next three, I think, that we're going to talk about next time. But He encouraged others. Look at chapter 14, verse 1, just um, a matter of about... 10 verses after the betrayal. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. These apostles were about to take on the biggest mission that mankind has ever known. And they were about to do it without the one who had taught them the very essence of that mission. They were about to go and try to make disciples of all men and they were going to make disciples of the Christ who was about to leave them. And you remember what Christ promised them in the next few chapters. He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. If I go, I'm going to leave the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, with you. Uh, verse 16 of the same chapter. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Jesus here after his own betrayal, I'm sure realizing as a human being that, that these apostles needed comfort in a way that they had never needed it before. 
And Jesus, even in his darkest hour, took advantage of the opportunity to comfort those people who are, were around him. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18. Let's turn there real quickly. 1 Thessalonians 4. I love this passage because it says, Comfort one another with these words. I love it that it's so specific here that we as Christians can comfort one another with these words. Well, what are they? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I love that because it tells us there are some words, a quotation, whereby we can comfort one another. I love 1 Thessalonians in general because it has a lot about comfort in it. Looking in verse 5, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, but comfort or encourage the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Do you think the disciples, the apostles, as Jesus was leaving them, were faint-hearted people? Well, I think that they were. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. I think this is probably my favorite comfort verse. And we all have comfort foods. We have comfort drinks. I love the the bread of life and the comfort that it gives us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, that we may be able to comfort them who are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Wow, that's a lot of comfort in verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There are 31 words in verses 3 and 4, and comfort is in there five times. That's one-sixth of all the words in those verses are comfort. I love that passage. And what it tells us is that when we are in the dark times, we are better equipped to encourage those around us. Think Jesus knew that? Think he knew it both as God and man. But he immediately following the the dip of the sop, Judas leaving, a little conversation about with Simon Peter there and the apostles. And then 10 verses later, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Two things that he did just after his betrayal. He resolved to do the Father's will, to glorify the Father, to just go about the business of being a Christian. You know, sometimes it's really easy for us after someone's done us wrong to get distracted by that and to become so absorbed in how we're going to get even or how we're going to rectify the situation or how we're going to prove that we were right in the situation, whatever it might be. We can get so distracted by that that we forget that our main business is just to go and do the Father's will, and He's going to take care of the vengeance part. He said that. Well, He said something similar in um, Ephesians chapter 4 and in Romans 12, that vengeance does belong to God, and that we can heap coals of fire on on the heads of the enemies when we just go about doing good. Let's just get about the Lord's business. And that's what Jesus said. I am going to go forth from this place and glorify my Father. Number one, he was resolved to do the Lord's will. Number two, he encouraged the people who were around him. Let's be women of encouragement. Let's be, even in the dark times of our lives, people who find the 
uh, maladies that are occurring, the trials that are affecting us, and use those trials to realize our better equipment to encourage those around us who go through similar things. I hope that you're having a good holiday season. I hope that you're getting to be with family. But, you know, even if you're not, we are above all people as God's women most blessed. And let's give him praises and glory throughout this season because he is so good to us. Have a good day.